Welcome, welcome back to She Can Talk to Podcast. I am your host, Colleen, aka Gongly MC on Instagram if you want to check out that music. Colleen Eat Wings on Instagram if you want to see what I'm cooking or eating. Check out my Easter spread. We was grilling and chilling. You can also go to Doe Records, that's D O E underscore records at Instagram, or just go to the website, doerecords.com, or just come over here and check me out at She Can Talk Podcast, you know, streaming anywhere podcasts are available you already know what it is you're in the house with me welcome back thank you for tuning in hey season two episode two i know you're probably like okay so what the hell you got us hype with a video last week and now this week no video what's going on so this week i did a lot of stuff i had a lot of stuff to do i mean a lot of things to do um it's um it's an understatement so i didn't really want to just film myself you know for my episode two talking to you guys so instead I was like you know what I'm just gonna go ahead and do like I normally do which is not a problem so I will flip-flop back and forth but I was filming some interviews that will be coming up so you will be seeing more of me and even though this episode is audio it will also go up on the YouTube so shout out to YouTube shout out to everyone that's streaming the She Can Talk podcast respect and much love and thank you all for tuning in everyone that's tuned in following subscribe to the podcast I appreciate it yo so doing things different, you know what I'm saying? I've been um working out. I've been um eating. Well, I've been we've been grilling. I can't even lie. Which is a healthier option. You know, I always try to give you a little recap of what I've been doing throughout the week and everything. But um I really don't have enough, a lot to say because I've been busy, but you're gonna see that coming up. So I don't wanna like do any spoiler alerts. But um what I really want to do is say, you know, prayers up to send prayers up to DMX because it's um every day is like flip-flopping with the news like if he's doing good if he's on life support he's off life support he's breathing on his own he's not breathing on his own I don't know but let's just send our prayers up for DMX because he is a legend he is a great um at this and despite his vices despite his um you know whatever happened you know I'm saying let's he's great and he's a talented man and he's a great individual as far as in his skill set I never had the honor of meeting him personally, and um, God bless it, I would love to, so I do pray that he pulls through, not just for my selfish reasons of being able to meet him in the future, but just for his family, just for his, you know, legacy, and just the people around him that need him, so let's send our prayers up for DMX, because he's having a rough week, going into a rough, I don't know, two weeks, so this is crazy here, so big up and respect, prayers up, you know, to DMX, because that's tough, and praise out to his family, the Simmons family, that's out there, you know, and anyone who's affiliated with him, because, you know, shout out to Swiss Beats, because you see, I could, I could feel like the pain through Swiss's post, and, um, you know, shout out to Swiss Beats and respect, sending up about love and prayers to anyone, you know, that's close to him and had the privilege and the opportunity to know him and to love him, because he's not gone, you know what I'm saying, but I'm just saying anyone who's been in his presence more than me, because I'm just enamored and respecting him and love him and sending my praise up off of the music and the movies and the talent that he is, you know, and the um, impression he left left on the world and the mark he left on the world. So I can only imagine people that has been close to him, that people that know him, his family, his children. So I'm sending my praise out to them as well. And let's all unify you know, collectively send our prayers out to DMX because that's rough, you know? So I pray he makes it through. He pulls through with a hundred percent recovery respect. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Speaking of music, I know you probably looking at the title of this, like, um, 
genius fighter serial killer what the hell are you going into well this is an episode i'm gonna really get into it because it might be a long one after i jump down the rabbit hole and if you are with me still and you follow down the rabbit hole i might miss when i'd be a whole hour and a half by myself girl well you know she can talk that's the podcast and that's what i do right so that's we're gonna get into it i had the opportunity to like literally just it was probably really was because of the easter weekend and half of the Easter weekend because I still had family over. We still grilled, entertaining. It was awesome. So, you know, you still have to prepare for that, cook food, etc. So half of the weekend, I was able to chill just for a little bit. And I wanted to catch up on some shows that, um, you know, I told you I'm in a couple of groups, you know, one's for Lovecraft Country. And it started out for Lovecraft Country. It's still called like the HBO Lovecraft Country discussion group on Facebook. So shout out to everybody in the group. I'm in the group as well. Gongli. If y'all are like, who is this talking? It's me. But um, yeah, so I've been in this group for months now, ever since Lovecraft last year debuted on HBO. Now it's, it's like an addiction, like we're looking for something to watch. And so people share different things like, hey guys, you know, because I guess they feel we all have a similar interest in Lovecraft country. So we may like other shows that other people like, you know? So I recommended a couple of shows and it went over well. A lot of people like, yeah, I watched, I love that. Oh my God, we have, we're in sync. So a couple of people in the chat or in the group on Facebook recommended several shows to watch. So I was like, all right, you know, I know I'm not gonna be able to catch all of them, but the music ones caught my attention. Cause you know, I am a musician and just being in the field of music or anything musically, I'm going to jump on that first, right? And I don't care what genre, honestly, because I watch Johnny Cash movie, Ray Charles movie, um, the NWA movie. It doesn't matter. Like, if it's a music situation, I'm on it. You know what I'm saying? Because that's just my life. So, in particular, they said, you know what? I saw a post, and it was like, watch Genius, Aretha Franklin. And I promise you, you won't be disappointed. So I was like, huh, okay, that looks interesting. You know, I'm going to look that up. And it was like, trust me, genius Aretha Franklin. So here you go. Okay, I have to tell you a joke with that as well. So I'm looking for genius Aretha Franklin. I'm thinking it's like a documentary just about her. So I've been looking for it. So every time it popped up, I didn't realize it's like a show with several, you know, like every season it's a different person that they talk about so like for example season one they talked about albert einstein um i honestly didn't watch that one which i will go back and watch but then season two they talked about someone else which i skipped over because i'm looking for aretha and season three it was about aretha franklin but it's all about geniuses you know and just people in their own field that you know was groundbreaking or you know just made history so i was like oh wow this is even better even I'm even more intrigued to watch this show because I'm thinking it's just a music show but it's really a show or a series that's dedicated to people that are considered in you know I guess the creator of the show's mind as genius and they've done some genius work in the world or contributed back to the world their work is considered genius right so um I was like all right cool this looks interesting so it was about it was a whole show it was like eight episodes oh my gosh and every episode I could have swore every episode was like two hours but don't quote me on that just watch it for yourself it is a highly recommend but let me tell you what um how I watch shows before I go into my um review because that's what these are 
all of these opinions, and this is my disclaimer, these are my opinions. Everything that you hear from this point out in this episode is my opinion, okay? And then when I refer to things that lead me up to my opinion, I will say allegedly because I do not have facts, but they're out there so you can search it yourself if you don't believe me, but I will say allegedly because I'm not going to put nothing on anybody. So that's my disclaimer at the beginning of this episode, but let's get in. <clears throat> so before I get into it, I wanted to say the way I wanted to explain to you guys the way I watch um, shows. Now, um, I know a lot of women that I know, it doesn't matter what race, color, ethnics, ethnicity, background, etc. It's like a unification behind um, like investigative discovery snap type of shows, right? I always say that because I even saw on SNL a couple of weeks back, they did a skit where they do like a music video and the music video was called The Murder Show and all the girls was excited because their husbands was leaving for the night, right? Like going out or working late at the office. So you're thinking that it's going to be like a setup to um, <clears throat> maybe they're going to cheat or maybe they're going to do like indulge in something bad, but they actually do. They indulge in watching like Snapped or Investigate Discovery. Just like, well, I'm going to watch The Murder Show. The Murder Show is funny. But um, and when I saw that, even when Colossus saw that, he was like, see, it's all of you. <laughs> But when I watch shows like Investigative Discovery and Snap, and I don't watch it a lot, but I used to, it was a point in time where I was like, I'm doing my laundry, I'm cleaning the house, I got to put on Snap, I got to, like, it was an obsession at one point, and I had to reel it in, because I was like, you know what, I don't, this is crazy, I don't want, like, to get too far in, or go down that rabbit hole too far, I'm talking about, I used to, like, Google, and look up the person, oh my god, they're in jail, like, you know, what happened to them, what's the end result, you know, how many years did they get, all type of craziness, right, so... I started to watch those shows more so not from the perspective of like, you know, I'm indulged in an actual crime, but I'm like, let me see if I can solve it before I know what happened type of thing. So I look at it from that perspective, like, okay, they're saying this, but they're leaving out this. That's how I would look at a show or look at when, you know, the script and nine times out of 10, I'm going to say 9.5 times out of 10, I was correct. Like this person was a suspect or this person did something shady or this person may not have did it, but they know who did it. Like that type of thing. Right. So <clears throat> I brought that skill set of as far as analyzing shows over analyzing, a.k.a. the murder shows over to watching like movies, um, documentaries, anything else, comedies, anything else. So that way you can kind of dig a little deep. Like, oh, they said that you get it. Like even with a joke, it's like, I feel like I can get the joke quicker even now with different shows or comedy sets because I dig deeper into the dialogue. I know it sounds weird. You're like, where are you going with this? So all that to say is, um, I watched Aretha genius, Aretha, um, with a deeper eyes, you know, mindset or my deeper eye, my third eye, if that makes any sense. Okay. So let's dig it in. Let's get it in. I am talking from just my opinion, reviewing the show. And I'm gonna say like this, God bless Aretha. She is a legend of soul, legend, queen of soul. Um, I went to church and I took, I even did an episode a couple episodes back about, um, how I went to Kentucky with my church because I was in a choir, the youth choir. And Reverend slash Bishop Terman, which was um Glenn Terman's cousin or uncle, 
was the you know in charge of like the youth choir as far as making sure we get there making sure we're good like he was like our um road daddy if you're making any sense like making sure the kids are safe like say if a kid if you know like say if um a team goes to play basketball you have the coach with them and a the coach might have like the assistant coach and they're making sure that everyone's safe and they get to where they need to get to and everyone has a room etc he was like that for us on the music side for the gospel for the church right for the youth choir <clears throat> And it made sense because they kind of were like an entertainment family, like the Termins, as far as what I knew from of them from New York. But um, his um, cousin, which was Glenn Termin, was married to Aretha Franklin. So Aretha Franklin came to my church, Mount Zion, CME Church in the Bronx, several times in my youth, you know what I'm saying? So what I knew of her was just always like a this great woman and she loved church. Like she would sing in the church. Like it was nothing like the church would pack out. People would be out front, like on the sidewalk in the basement, like on the steps just to hear her because she was there, you know, like they knew she was there. So yeah. So it was like, what I know of her is she's a big thing, Aretha in my youth, you know, this is like the eighties, you know, early eighties, sheesh, all the eighties. Right. So then as I got, became an adult, I really knew her discography, like, you know, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, Respect, um, you know, um, and the, oh my God, what's the show? Giving him something he can feel. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, you get into the Aretha songs. And it makes sense because as an adult now, I see why my mom wouldn't let me listen to those songs as a child, right? And then you see Aretha coming to church. It just didn't correlate or mesh. So I guess it made sense why my mother was like, no, you're not going to hear these songs as a child, right? So yeah, later, years later on, I'm like, oh, she was always a boss chick. You know what I'm saying? She always was like, yo, I'm in charge. I'm in charge of my sexuality. I'm in charge of my business. I'm in charge of, you know, my relationships. And you're going to respect me. And I'm going to throw it back and give you something that you can feel, you know, type of thing, right? So just, it, it was empowering. I can honestly say in my, you know, teenage years, my 20s, early 20s, when I'm listening to Aretha, and, you know, when I became familiar and was exposed to Aretha Franklin music, not the gospel music, because I was exposed to that, you know, early out, but the um, soul music, it connected to me, it touched me, and I was like, this is a powerful woman, I want to be like this, I want to be like this in music, a powerful woman, you know, and just like, stake your claim, but after watching this documentary, it's interesting, so I'm going to bring it back, because I was rambling, Remember what I said? I watch things with a different eye. It doesn't matter what it is, comedy, documentary, whatever genre of show it is or movie. I watch it with a, with the same eye, which is like that analyzing eye. Like, let me see it's more to what they're saying, you know, type of thing, right? And it's because of investigative discovery, lifetime, snap. Don't ask me why. <clears throat> but Aretha, I did not know, had... I think she had, I don't want to misquote it or whatever, but I think she had four sons. I want to say she did have four sons. So the interesting thing is she had her first son at 12 years old. Did you hear my silence? Her first son she had at 12 years old. The second one? 14. So basically by the time she was 22, 
She had four kids. And I'm not scorning Aretha or judging her. I say this to say, the dialogue that happened within the show that made me say, hmm. Because, you know, kids are fast. Like, you know, I was grinding and dry humping on my little boyfriend I was crushing on at 12 and 13. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't go all the way there at 12 and 13 per se. But we were close. We was on the edge about to fall off type of thing. So I'm not going to judge anyone. We're all kids, you know. But, and this is allegedly, and this is my opinion, and this is based on watching the show in its entirety. I think the two first sons were her dads. Yes, I'm not, this is allegedly, this is just my review. I don't want no one coming at me crazy, and I'm not trying to judge anyone. You know, olden day things happened, and Things happen, things happen, etc. Has you know, I'm putting my disclaimer out there. I'm not judging anyone. I'm just watching the show, and this is the conclusion I've come to. Okay, so first off, I know I'm gonna say like my great grandmother and my grandfather and them because my great grandmother was born in 1906. My great grandmother. So this is my grandmother's mother, okay? And she was with us all the way until 2000, okay? So I'm gonna use someone like her who came from a different, like, turn of the century type of thing, right? Her children were born in, like, 27 and 32. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, different medicine and practices was around when this woman was in her prime, okay? So my great-grandmother... And that generation, like her aunt, my aunts, which is like her sisters and them, like growing up, and then I always call them like the aunties and the grand aunties and great, you know, that generation. They were like very strict. They were very strong women. I actually think in some cases they were stronger than the men, you know, in my family. And I'm not trying to take nothing away from the men in my family, but the matriarch, like the women, were no joke. And Mama in particular, Vera Morgan, rest in peace. That's my granny, my great granny, I should say was no joke. And the reason why I'm talking about her is because she's from that era where she probably would have been about Aretha's daddy age. I don't think she would have went for her 12 year old daughter coming home pregnant, like, uh, and not investigating and not trying to find out like who the father is and not trying to figure out what's going on. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because we're going to have to have a talk with this boy's family and this boy to let him know what the repercussions is of y'all humping and now you're pregnant you know like that's how my grandmother always been like in my whole time of knowing her up until god bless it she passed away in 2000 and like i said she was born in 1906 okay so i kid you not she lives a full life damn near 100 and her attitude as far as i know my whole life of knowing her never changed like uh-uh boys you're too fast sit down come here sit down you know like very straight and I'm not saying all women were like that because some women were passive some women were abused some women was in different situations some women were financially abused but it was dependent on a man so I can't say like someone is wrong or you know like how did you let your child know her mom wasn't even really there because the father took the kids from the mother so she fought for years to try and get them back but because he was a preacher and he was a respected pastor in the Detroit area. It was, you know, like, come on now, no competition. You, you know, you're reckless. Well, I got the kids. But in the meantime, in between time, in the care of the pastor, 
the 12 year old's getting pregnant so now this is part of the movie that made me say hmm things that make you go hmm aretha is in the kitchen getting her hair done by her grandmother i believe this woman was her grandmother from the father's side so this is her father's mother and you know a mother know their child right okay so keep that in mind so she's combing aretha's hair and aretha said you know you know like grandma i don't feel well and my stomach is getting big like that and then she was like what you mean your stomach is getting big and she touched her stomach and felt like oh this little girl pregnant and then she said you know like have you had your you know menstrual or whatever and she was like i don't really remember the full dialogue watch it it's crazy but um she you know basically was like oh shit this girl's pregnant so at the same time aretha's father comes into the kitchen so the grandmother says come here let me talk to you and she brings her son which is aretha's father so aretha's grandmother and and her son which is aretha's father goes into the other room and she was like that girl in there pregnant. What is that 12-year-old in there, you know, pregnant? So let me give you a little backstory to wind it up. And I'm not trying to do a spoiler alert because you really have to watch. I'm just trying to keep it isolated to this moment, though. But to give a little backstory, Aretha, out of all of the children he had, he considered her, I guess, the most talented, which she can sing, obviously. And, you know, he was on, you know, in church, in the choir, in the gospel circuit, etc. The gospel circuit is like, very, very closely aligned with the Chitlin Circuit, which ironically reminds me, brings me up to, you know, the 80s when we went, and it was probably like late 80s, because it was like 89, 88 was great, 89, but, you know, still the 80s, when I did that, you know, gospel show in Louisville, Kentucky, and KRS-One, Big Daddy Kane, Salt and Pepper, and all of them were in the same hotel for a concert that they were doing in Louisville, Kentucky that same weekend. So even though we kind of was like, it was a big hotel and had like conference areas, and like BBCC one. So it was like shows all over this hotel. It was like, it was almost like a Vegas style hotel for real. So it was like shows all over the hotel, different areas have like different things going on. But in addition to the gospel conference that was going on that weekend at the hotel, the hotel had booked the, all the rappers that were in the concert. So I think it's the same thing. And I'm not saying the rappers is a Chitlin circuit, etc. but you know, there wasn't rap back then, you know, it was jazz, it was funk. It was that Chitlin circuit that sold at, you know, et cetera they frequented the same locations is what I'm trying to say. So like the same spots, like, Oh, we're going to go to New York. We're going to go to Cali. We're going to go to Chicago. We're going to go to Detroit. We're going to go to Atlanta. We're going to go to Miami. They go to the same locations. I don't know if it's like a connectivity or if it's a, you know, hand in hand situation back then. I don't know, but the parties was wild. And I went off the tangent for a little bit there, but all I have to say is the parties were wild, right? And the 12 year old is out there on the road where her father, he's responsible for her. So you got to watch it because I don't want to do a spoiler alert, but I will just say to give a little backstory to when the grandmother pulled her son into the living room to ask him like, how did this girl get pregnant? Or he, she didn't even say, how did this girl get pregnant? She was like, this girl's pregnant. And he was like, it, it gets wild on the road and she smacked him and that was it they never try to find out who the father was 
they never try to find out, you know, if it was an old man, like, abusing a kid, if it was a young guy on the road, was it a 12-year-old boy on the road, too? Like, they never try to find out who the father was. She brought Aretha's father into the living room and said, this girl's pregnant. And he said, it gets wild on the road. And she smacked him. So, to me, that's a very telling sign as well because a mother knows their child. And she looked at him with disgust and smacked the shit out of him to let me know, like, that was like kind of like subliminally, in my opinion, the way the cinematography was set up. It was subliminally because I'm telling you, as soon as I saw that, I instantly clicked because it was a scene before that that I don't want to spoil it for you. That when you see that scene, it brings you back to the previous scene, like, huh? Because ultimately, what I was spoiling it for you, when it was on the road, she shared a room with her father. So I digress. I'll leave it at that. But um, so she had her two kids. She had the first one at 12, right? Now she's 14. She's blossomed a little bit. Plus, she got a kid. So, I mean, shit, you know, at this point, I don't push the baby out and I'm 14. So, I kind of should feel a little bit grown at this point, right? She's still on the road with her dad. She's still doing the gospel circuit slash chilling circuit, etc. Now she met, um, I don't know if the person in real life was a midget, but the character on the show, and I hate that word, little person, excuse me. So, forgive me to any little person out there that's listening. You know, I'm old school and I'm not trying to justify that. So, I apologize, but... It was a little person, and you know her from the Little Women of Atlanta, I believe. She's on that show. I've seen her somewhere perform somewhere or on some sh- couple of shows. But they befriended each other, and I think, you know, in a in a weird way, um, Aretha gravitated towards her because she was a little person and because she was 14. So, you know, she was still a child herself. So they was like friends, but the girl was still grown. And she was like, you know, I'm going to the club tonight to see, I think it was like Sam cook. And she was like, I'm going to go see Sam cook perform and you need to come with me. And she was like, let's go. Because, you know, like I said, like the dad said, it gets wild. So there's no supervision or curfew. No one out there to say like, you know, don't go don't you know, you're too young, nothing. So, they go out. She met Sam Cooke. I think she even sang something for Sam Cooke because this whole time, Aretha's on his chitlin circuit or the gospel circuit singing. So, you know, she interacted with him, had a good time, and now she's coming home with her friend back to the hotel because, you know, they're on the road themselves touring the gospel circuit, right? So they get back to the hotel. The dad cuts them off before they can even get back to their room. And he's like, you know, cussing around you thinking you grown out here blah 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 you keep it up you're gonna get another baby right so if you're watching it on face value that scene to me like just face value like i'm just watching a show with no deep thought or no dissection of this dialogue then you would just be saying like he's telling his daughter like you out there you know being thinking you're grown and then you're gonna bring home another child you know looking for you know messing with people you know thinking you're grown right but the way he said it and the way she received it, it was almost like a punishment. Like, I will get you pregnant again to make sure you can't go anywhere. That's how I took it. So watch it, guys. And I want you to tell me what y'all think. Because like I said, this is my opinion and this is my review of um, Genius Aretha. You know, I'm not trying to say this is what happened. This is facts, you know. Um, I will say that the firstborn son is named after her father. The first two kids have her last name, which is Franklin, which is, of course, her father's last name. Um, The first son was a little handicapped, 
were disabled. And she even left it in her will, like, hey, I need, you know, I'm going to provide special, you know, care for him because he's of special needs and I want to make sure he's good. You know, and he was like 67 years old when his mother passed away and she's still making sure he has accommodations, which, you know, mothers will do that. I probably, I'm pretty sure I would do that. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not taking not that away from her, but it just makes you think, not saying like, oh, you know, he has disabilities or special needs because his grandfather is his father. But I'm just saying it's a lot of little weird things and nuances that just had me thinking like, hmm, this is crazy. I did not know that. Right. Then to even go a little bit deeper with that. And I'm not talking, you know, once again, this is just watch it for yourself and form your opinion. So I'm giving you my opinions. These are not facts. These are just my opinions and my review after watching the show people in the chat that, you know, if anyone out there that's in my, um, love, my Lovecraft HBO discussion chat on Facebook that, you know, saw the recommendations for the Aretha show and watched it chime in. Tag me in the chat, tag me on Facebook, on Instagram, chime in wherever y'all listening at and tell me what y'all think, but watch it. I'm not, I'm, you might have to watch it in a couple of days, like break it up like I did. Cause it's, it's a lot. And if you're busy, like I am, you can't just sit and dedicate like a whole work shift to it, but watch it. If you can, you will not be disappointed because it's educational and you just learn some things musically. You see how like, you know, record labels were back then. You see how like producers were and just the whole, you know, that on top of what she was dealing with at home type of thing. Right. So just bring it up a little bit, you know, in her, in the Aretha story. Now, once again, I don't want to do a spoiler alert, but there's another part of it that I kind of use as a running joke with Colossal. So she had like a husband slash manager slash like promoter for her, but they were married. Right. And I think she had a child for him as well. And this is like, at this time she was like 21, 22. So all of this stuff is going on. And Aretha's a very young girl. I sit here and think about stuff that I'd done at 25 to 30. And I'm like, I was, you know, didn't even have myself together. You know what I'm saying? And then to be 21, I definitely didn't have it together. I was wild for the night. I was like, Buster Rhymes, wow for the night at 21. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, partying, like, job, fuck you. I quit. Like, it was no th- thought of, like, responsibility. Like, I paid the rent this month. I got all month to chill. I wasn't thinking, like, no, you're going to have to pay it next month. You know what I'm saying? I just was young and, and wild and free, right? So, um, to be the before kids and a, a, a record, a music career, a crazy daddy, and like every dude around you wants you and you know, you handling the money, everybody coming to you for the money. Like that's a lot. You know what I'm saying? To put on a young person. I don't care what decade the fuck it is. That's a lot to put on a young person. So to bring it back now, she's about 21, 22. She got this husband or whatever, and he's the manager or whatever. So I think it's like time magazine at the time came around to do a, you know, interview, uh, insight, you know, you know, interview Aretha Franklin. So the whole family like came together to do a whole big, you know, and which to me was very telling as well, because, and I'm not saying like, Oh, the time magazine reporter was right. Or, you know, he did an expose and he got her out there. I'm not saying that at all, but at the same time, looking from it from like a journalist standpoint or looking from it from, yeah, like journalism, you know, standpoint and, and also from an analytical standpoint, because when you are a journalist, you have to analyze, which is once again, brings me back to like me and my 
investigated discovery shit. Originally, I went to school for sociology. Sociology is the study of people. The reason why I did that is because I wanted to be either a lawyer or a forensic scientist. You know what I'm saying? Like study the crime scenes, etc. But then I realized I didn't like blood. And then I realized, wow, I'm going to have to do X amount more years after you know, college to get the law degree. I said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a rap. <laughs> nah, I'm joking. But, you know, a lot of people still say to me like, yo, you could have been this, this, because you, you know, you be breaking shit down. But long story short, all I'm trying to say is to bring it back to that. Um, it was a lot going on there. But as she was going on at 21, this author came over to interview her. This journalist, I should say, came over to interview her for the Time Magazine. And I could kind of understand where he came from with the ultimate article he wrote. So let me set out the, the vision for you. The family put on the best show, like the father, the mother, the brothers, the sisters, the husband, the children. Everyone's well-dressed. Everyone's well-behaved. Not saying that they weren't well-dressed. She's rich. So it's not saying that they weren't well-dressed, well-behaved, wasn't living good. None of that. They was they were. But um, at the same time, it was like, you know, fried chicken. It was like, to me, like uh, the best meal out Thanksgiving style. You know, fried chicken, macaroni and cheese, like Southern home cooking, you know, laid out. The spread was from one end of the table to the other, like with 10, 12 people sitting at the table type of thing, right? And they got this skinny white guy from the Time Magazine eating with them. And then they tell stories about Aretha. You know, the dad's, you know, very proudful. Who's telling stories by himself and church and, you know, all that stuff. And then um, he goes off into individual interviews with each family member, like the mother. Well, I'm lying. The mother wasn't there. I want to say it's like the grandmother, the sisters, the brother, of course, the father, Aretha individually. And then they don't really show no one else, right? Then the article comes out. The article was more like an expose versus a uh, big up yourself type of thing. And what I say about expose versus big up yourself type of thing, he thrashed her. He was like, yeah, they say Aretha sleeps till noon. All she does is um, watch soap operas all day and eat um, junk food or whatever like that. So he was, she was like, junk food, like I prepared a good meal for him. And he caught my food, junk food, you know, like, what is this? What is, what is going on here? And she was, so she's confused reading it. And then he starts like, she, as she's reading it, he starts going deeper into information. And she's like, yo, only me and you should know this. So then she looked at the husband, like, yo, everyone had individual interviews. What did you say to him? And he was like, oh, I said what you told me to say, blah, blah, blah. But long story short, because I don't want to go back and forth script and whatever like that. He basically exposed his wife like, oh, she lazy, she crazy, she alcoholic, she on drugs. Like, he went off. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, yo, that's so crazy. So the running joke, I'm like, yo, don't read to me. You know what I'm saying? Because I like chicken wings. You all know I like chicken wings. You know what I'm saying? So I'll order chicken wings or whatever. But I'm not like that, like sleeping to noon. I can't sleep to noon because I got so much shit to do. But I always joke, like, I'm about to order chicken wings. Don't read to me. That's the new running joke, I should say, ever since I watched the show. And class was like, you're silly. But um, it was a lot to unpack with that documentary or that show series or what you want to call it. It was a lot to unpack. And as I went on and watched it, you know, to its completion, I personally, because once again, this is all my review or my opinion of the show. This is not like facts or this is not like, go, then, you know, tell them the mountain, this is in stone. This is just my opinion after absorbing this completion or this body of work. Um, it makes sense. Like when I was a child in the 80s 
and I actually met Aretha and, you know, experienced her like in her natural habitat, like in church, like she took a lot of solace in church and you could tell that like, that was like a, a safe haven for her. You could tell. Cause I, I experienced her in church. Like that was my only experience of her was in church. Right. As far as in a physical form. And, um, she also was a woman that to me, what I considered strong in my youth, I still consider strong in my adult life, but I also feel like she had to be strong because it was a lot of pain that she was carrying. If that makes any sense. And it is like, after watching that documentary, I literally went back into my mind. Like I almost went into like a physical time machine back into like sitting in church a few pews away from her, looking at her and just like taking her in. Like this is Aretha Franklin. Everyone's crazy around her, and I'm this close, you know, as a kid. And I could feel that pain right now, even as I say it to you. I could feel that, that she carried with her daily. I didn't know what it was, you know, just back then I was like, oh my God, I'm scared because she's like a superstar. She's larger than life, you know, and maybe that's why she's like that. But, um, after watching that documentary, that was very insightful. So that's what I've come to the conclusion of a daddy, father, two of them kids, B 99.9% of the men in her life, um, abused her. And then there was men like, um, Glenn Terminator. I don't, you know, really know all the backstories that he had him in the movie as well. Um, in the movie, he was there for her kids. He married her. He was very supportive for her, of her after the daddy and the other uh, husband exposed her in time magazine and all that stuff went down. Glenn Terminator came in and he was, I, I could see it because that's when, I, as a child, became familiar with her, and he would bring her to his church, his family's church, which was my family's church. That was in my family. Like, we went to that church is what I'm saying. But you get what I'm saying. So we, I see that in action. It's so funny because I didn't see this documentary or this show. And if you go back to season one, like, towards the end of it, I have an episode where I talk about this. <laughs> Not her in detail, but I mentioned that because I mentioned, you know, it was Richard Terman which was, you know, his cousin, but he was the bishop. He was like an older man. He could have been like his uncle for real, but he was our uncle, our, our church uncle. And in the youth choir, he always had us like in shows and like we on, you know, shows with BB and CC Winans. Like he had us like traveling up and down the East Coast, you know what I'm saying? Like y'all going to be a band, <laughs> you know? And it was a van load of us like, and we was rocking because he believed in us. So that energy was always lit. Like we had a good little choir when we was kids, but um, shout out to Reverend, Determined. God bless him if he's, you know, alive. If he's not, God bless him, you know, in heaven. Cause I know he made it to heaven. He always gave his big max after the show. That was so dope. But, um, yeah. So what I remember of her with Glenn Terman and the Termans, they're very like musical entertainment family, but they loved the Lord. They were very connected to, to God. And, um, so was Aretha and I could see where them two fell in love and had that moment in time because of the connection. And I, I, you know, I didn't get a, a bad vibe from, from him when they were together, like their energy, like you could tell he loved her. He was like proud of his family. Like that's the vibe I got. Like I didn't know as a kid, I didn't know none of them kids weren't here. I didn't know none of that stuff until this documentary, honestly, because I didn't really de you know, dig deep into it. And I was just a kid back then. So, you know, my perspective or my interactions with Aretha Franklin were a little bit different than probably the average person. But then at the same time, um, 
I can't sit here and say like, oh yeah, I got sang with Aretha, nothing like that. We were just in church and I was just like a kid in church and she would freaking out church like Christmas, Mother's Day, Easter, when it was big things going on, Aretha's showing up and she's popping off. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah. So during that time frame, it was pretty dope. And that's good to me personally have that memory as well. But then when you physically meet someone and you like are around their aura and their energy, and then, like, say later on, something comes down the line, like, say you see a documentary on them or something, you can kind of put the pieces together. You can feel like, oh, well, this is why I, it makes sense now, if that makes any sense to you. So, you know, that's the first part of this episode is the genius part, right? Look, 40 minutes in, and I didn't even get to the other two parts of this, but we're about to go right in. I can't even pause no more. I got to go right in. So we got to go into the fighter part of this title, fighter which is another documentary, which was also recommended in the chat. And this one was called, um, I Tina, I believe it is. And it's on HBO max. Did Tina Turner? Now you can, you can sell me Tina Turner in anything. And I'm gonna buy it. You can sell me Tina Turner in empanada. I'm gonna buy it. Like I'm gonna buy it. You know what I'm saying? I love Tina Turner. She's just beautiful. And she's just a strong woman. She's a fighter. She's a resilient woman. You know, there's so much, you know, about her that I don't even have to go into. I, in 1993, when that movie came out, the Tina Turner movie was Love Got to Do With It. I, that was my first time, you know, coming into contact with her story because I knew what's love had to do with a private dance. I knew all that stuff before. My mom had bought me a keyboard back in that time. I'm telling you, it was all about music in my house. I had a Casio keyboard and I was able to play what's love got to do with it and private dancer because it was like this weird little cassette thing that you would push into the keyboard, it wasn't like a table. It was almost like, if you look at like ASR 10s, I really want to say my Casio keyboard was an earlier version of like a beat machine type of thing. But you push it in and it would give you like these different little load, you know, you know things you could load up and it would teach you how to play the song. And then like have the music in the background and you play the keys on the piano. My mother really wanted me to be a piano player in church, but I digress. So anyway, I learned how to play Sheila E. Glamorous Life. I learned how to play um, What's Love Got to Do With It. I learned how to play Private Dancer. I learned how to play a few of those songs back then. Stevie Wonder, um, Overjoy, all that stuff on this Casio keyboard that my mom bought me back then, right? Yeah, I'm telling on my age. Yeah, whatever. But um, yeah, so that's how I was familiar with Tina early out, right? So when, you know, me and my teenage years where I can really comprehend Tina Turner's life story and I saw that movie with Angela Bassett in it that just threw me for in a tailspin like what she's a soldier she's a trooper like she deserves any medal of badge that she gets she deserves it because she just did the damn thing you know it was in an abusive relationship for 16 years getting the shit beat out of her raising kids that wasn't hers oh my god and don't get me wrong and ain't about the kids. The kids are innocent. But I'm just saying, that's a lot. You beating on me and I'm still raising your kids. I'm still taking and providing for your family. You know, like the studio, the everything. Like doing all this stuff. And I'm not getting no respect. Like she needed to sing the Aretha Franklin song, Respect. Like I, it's crazy. Which she did, ironically. Um, It was a, a footage of her on stage singing the Respect song with her backup dancers and Ike. It was crazy. But, um, and it just show you how the time frames intertwine and like all these artists were out around the same time performing on similar circuits. But, um, Tina's story to me, what I liked about this documentary, because it didn't highlight the abuse. It didn't highlight, um, the, you know, the, 
the pain she had to endure. Instead, it really allowed her to tell her story and say, hey, look, yeah, all you guys know I got the shit beat out of me. All you guys know I raised this nigga kids that wasn't hit. It wasn't mine. All you guys know that I left this nigga got basically robbed and all I could walk away with was my name. But I took that name and I want you to recognize Like, let's move forward now. Like, yeah, that's the traumatic stuff. And yes, I have PTSD behind that. So y'all continually, you know, ask me about it, bringing me back down that rabbit hole but instead let's go forward let's hop over this fence and look at these green pastures i live on the french riviera look at my house look at this money look at this i filled out stadiums look at what i've done after 50 years old you know and watching that documentary that's what it said to me and I felt like that was Tina telling Tina's story. That wasn't like, no, one like, hey, Tina, I want to write a book about you. I want to do a movie about the book. It wasn't about like buying into, buying into a narrative that the public would want to, you know, that would be like a scandalous, juicy, you know, story for the public, which was the Ike Turner story, the abuse, et cetera, et cetera. 16 years, she damn sure should have got her money out of it and damn right get your money out of it. But let's not dwell there, you know, like let's move forward and let's look at what Tina has accomplished since then. And to really put it into perspective that Tina started really popping when she did, you know, like again, cause you know, she had a career with Ike and everything was popping back then. But when she fell off from him and moved away and then tried to get a deal and then got dropped from her label and America was like, you too old. She went to England and when she went to England, she was around 45 years old. And she started working with producers out there in different bands and just, you know, um, redefining the sound, redefining her sound. And they brought a song to her, which was like an English song. And it was like, yeah, you should redo this song. And it was like, she was like, no, nah, I don't like it. It was like a pop song, but like an English pop song. And she was like, I'm not going to do it. And it was like, Tina, trust me. And they, you know, made the chords more soulful. They made it more, you know, something for her to rock to. Because she was really a rock and roll star. She really wasn't like... She wasn't an R&B singer, you know, she was like rock and roll. When she um, was about 45 years old and she met like, I guess a promoter and said, hey, you're amazing, you know, I caught your show. And I think she did like a couple of TV shows which was bringing in revenue for her and she was like, you know, trying to get like back on her feet from the Ike Turner fall off. And she said, you know, hey, I wanna, you know, what can you do for me? And the guy said, you know what? I'm going to come out and see your show and then we could talk. So Tina was doing like these cabaret shows and um, like Vegas, I guess, and stuff like that. And he came out and he saw her perform and he was blown away because, you know, at this time at 45 and, you know, I guess in the 80s, 45 was different than it is in the, you know, millennium or 2020s or whatever you want to call these times we're in now, present day, it's, you know, they were considered like older, you're washed up, like you're middle-aged, like you should give up type of thing, right? So, um, which brings me back to, remind me, I will remind, remember that I said, you know, bring me back to something else. But um, anyway, so he came out there, he saw her, he was like, wow, she moves amazing. She is, you know, limber flexible and on beat like she's there's nothing about her that's you know screaming old lady so after the show he's talking to her he's like well, what do you want to do because you know I can do whatever you want to do like let's let's talk and she was like I want to fill out the stadiums like I think she said the Rolling Stones or Mick Jagger was like someone like that she's like I want to fill out the stadiums like that and he was like you know I never um 
really was able to do that with a pop star, much less a, a woman, much less a black woman. Like, but we could, you know, we could try it. And she was like, yeah, that's what I want. So she set her bar high from gate. You know, so if you came into her presence, you were trying to like mess with Tina, like deal with her on a business level, prepare to do the work because she was coming in with the bar set really high. Right. So another thing I just want to say, which is totally sidebar, but another thing that um I caught watching because I told you I watch with a deeper looking or a deeper level or whatever. But um watching Tina Turner's documentary, I got I caught so much Beyonce energy. From early Tina to pre, you know, to old Tina, I caught a lot of Beyonce um presence. I also caught a lot of um Serena Williams energy. I can see how both of them can be like different variations of Tina Turner in a movie. Like I can see it, you know. So just wanted to say that, like you know, just giving respect and shout out to other strong black women. But um, and I could see how you know they might have been idols or motivations or inspirations to these girls or to these women because I I got the energy of Beyonce and Serena Williams from Tina Turner's documentary. So yeah, shout out to them. But to bring it back to this documentary, I will say it was much more uplifting than um the Aretha one. Aretha's was very somber. Another thing that you know not to skip all over the place, but one thing I forgot to tell you about the Aretha documentary that also was like, hmm Martin Luther King was, you know, very active, like I said, with the gospel and the, you know, um, jazz and chitlin circuit, all kind of meshing and going hand in hand and around the corner and back again, you know, he did some type of like, I guess, tour where he had artists like Sam Cooke and, um, Aretha Franklin, you know, performing. And he's like giving his speeches, but it's just like think about like a rock to vote where Diddy would have like, you know, different artists rapping and then they tell you to vote and you'll have like Barack Obama come out, you know, that type of thing. Right. So present day, that would be equivalent to what Martin Luther King was doing at this time. And he had a tour and he had, you know, several different popular, you know, soul artists, R&B artists, gospel artists on this, you know, tour with him him and Aretha got close. Then it made me think about, um, Lovecraft country where that, you know, like, you know, basically Martin Luther King was a womanizer that was thrown out there randomly in Lovecraft country. And then if you look it up and just kind of like research, and this is all allegedly, this was before my time, please don't comment for me, anybody, because I respect these people and I have nothing but love and respect for and admiration for their place in history. But you know, no one's perfect, right? I don't think anyone's perfect. So with that being said, I feel like, um, Maybe Aretha had a swing or two with Martin Luther King. I have to just say it was a part in the movie. They was in the alley. She was smoking. He was talking to her and he was, she was like, yeah, I'm going to do the show with you in Philly. And he was like, yeah, you know, are you, you know, you think you're going to be able to get away from your daddy. But the way he said it, once again, you would be thinking on face value level, like he's talking about, um, you know, your father's strict. He's a, you know, he's basically controlling your career and he's controlling you know, where you're at, what you're going to be doing. So are you going to be able to get away from him to do my show type of thing? Right. But then the undertones of the way it was said, maybe I'm just digging deep, but, um, I digress. It was just like, huh, get away from your daddy. And then instantly the daddy come around the corner like, Hey, what you doing with him? Oh, you trying to steal my girl. Come on. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, Oh God, here we go. And I could feel like, you know, just like you've seen, like, like once again, if you watch Investigative Discovery or seen any type of shows where documentaries where, like, 
you know, women were being molested or sexually assaulted early out by a family member and it was happening for years, you can kind of see that same type of um, demeanor that I've seen that was portrayed in this um, documentary or this show. And, um, yeah, I feel like she was getting to a point in time where she was like, you know what? I'm in control. I got money. I got this. I don't got to deal with this no more. I don't have to be under anyone's, you know, control. And he was like, yeah, I see how he was like, I'm watching you. Martin Luther King said to her, I'm watching you. I see how you move with your husband and your father. You got everything under control. The way he said it though, you got to watch it to me. I feel like, "Mm." They had energy because she was like, whoa, I know your family miss you. You miss your family. He was like, hey, they know what I do. Like, you know what I'm saying? You got to watch it. But I digress on that. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I wasn't around them times. But as an adult, looking at this in a different perspective and do a different eye, I wouldn't be surprised, you know? So that was Aretha. Aretha was really off, you know, the show was off the chain. She gave me a whole different perspective. But then Tina, like I said, on the flip side, it was the fighter because she was like, yo, I'm clawing my way up out the mud. And she did. And they showed in this documentary where she lives at present date where her husband, who's like 30 years younger than her. And in a weird way, they both aged well. It could be money because, you know, money just makes things different, I guess, you know, like you'll be like, Hey, you know, my young thing, he ain't going nowhere. But, um, they age well. Like she doesn't look like a decrepit old, you know, not, I don't mean to say it like that, but she doesn't look elderly. And, um, he doesn't look like, Oh, I'm trying to maintain a youth to, you know, get with the young ladies. It looks like they were, they're happy with each other and content. I don't know all their details and all, you know, going into the, you know, beyond, but just looking like he's still with her. Yeah. How many decades later? And he got with her, but she was like close to 50 and he was like a boy toy like official boy toy material, right? And here they are years later, happy, living like in Switzerland on the French Riviera or something to that effect. I don't even know how it goes geographically, so don't judge me. But all I know is beautiful. And all I know is I need that in my life, to be in another country so serene and peaceful, with Wi-Fi, of course, so you guys can all still hear from me. But when I, when I'm done and I log off, I step out onto like the French Riviera. Really what I want to do is go to the South of France. The South of France is like Florida, but just French. So like Paris is like New York and I love Paris. I mean, everything from the trains to, you know, just, you know, catching a cab to just the way it moved, the moving and the shaking of Paris is like Manhattan, a little bit of the Bronx, a little bit of Brooklyn, all in one, like all in one. You know what I'm saying? Like, just, I love Paris. But it is also cold, like New York and the northern states. You know what I'm saying? It's literally lined up that it's like, boom, you can fly from New York and get there. No time is for a reason because it's lined up. It's on the same part of the hemisphere. It's cold. Now, the south of France is just what it is. Just like Florida is in the south, it's in the south. And it's like on the water. Like, literally, it's like Florida. So, that's where, God bless it. I would love to um, retire, retire my family, and we just, like, live a peaceful, serene life, still enjoying music, still, you know, partaking in music and and entertainment in some capacity, but in a more relaxed, setting, peaceful environment. And don't get me wrong, I live in a very relaxed, setting, and peaceful environment now, but you got to see that Tina Turner documentary. That's, like, goals. At the end, you got to watch it all the way to the end. And she just takes you around like it's like a camera shot of her house. And it just goes out into the yard. Beautiful. So, yeah, 
kudos to the fighter in Tina Turner and kudos to the fighter and all of us, all, all of us women out here. You know what I'm saying? Thank God I have never been like physically abused or anything, but we all go through things that will kind of have you feeling post-traumatic, you know, stress or, you know, um, you know, just kind of shape you differently or you learn from it or you've been impacted by it, you know, experiences that we all been through. That's life. Right. But shout out to all of us that came out strong on the other side because it's tough. And then, you know, some people be like, oh, you know, you got to do this, but it's easy to say what you could do when you're not in those shoes. Right. So I haven't been in Aretha's shoes. I haven't been in Tina's shoes. So I give both of those women respect, just like the song Aretha put out that she's known for. Yeah, and I understand now even the deeper meaning behind the song, which I think I'm going to end this show with Aretha Franklin respect. That's what I'm going to do because, yeah, that's you got to watch that show. It's called Genius, Aretha. Like, do yourself a favor. Like, be mentally prepared. You might need a drink. You might need a roll of blunt. You might, like, need popcorn, like your favorite binge comfort food. Like, you're going to need some comfort and support during this. You know what I'm saying? But um, it is still a good, insightful show because um you just kind of see like what shaped a star you know and then also with me as a musician it also was like let me know like hey look you're not alone you don't you're not the only one that go through stuff you know what i'm saying some people go through worse than you and you think it's the end of the world over the little minute things that you you know in your life that didn't go right but you know look at the bigger picture so kind of also allowed me to appreciate the stuff i've been through bad good and indifferent, you know what I'm saying? And present day, appreciate where I'm at, you know what I'm saying? Because I've come a long way and I'm grateful for that as well, you know? So we all should give ourselves a pat on the back and don't hold ourselves to our old selves or to old experiences because we grow past it, right? I think we do anyway, and we should allow ourselves to. But um, that's what I'm going to say about that. So I hit the genius. I hit the fighter. I got one more to hit. Now this one, oh my God, I got to take a drink. Let me take a drink real quick. Yes, y'all. Normally, I would have edited out the drink and all of this ratchet, you know, gulping. But I had to leave it in here for y'all because I think when I took a drink, you guys should also take a drink. I'll even pause for a little bit. Go take a drink. Take a shot. You got your shot? Okay. Come on back because we're going to go into this serial killer one. Now, I was today years old when I heard this one. And... um. Once again, like I said at the beginning of this show, I'm going to say it again now because this we're getting into like some investigative discovery shit. Um, allegedly, I have no facts. I just see a lot of threads. You can go on Reddit. You can go on Lipstick Alley. I'm talking about years ago, years and years. Just Google it, what I'm about to tell you, and you will find it yourself. You can kindly go down a rabbit hole. I'm just trying to like um, point you to the rabbit hole. If you choose to go down it any further, that's on you. But I went down it and I was like, OMG. I even took Colossal with me down this rabbit hole. And he's like, yo, I'm convinced this is crazy. I'm not saying that he's convinced one way or the other, like, you know, that this person did what I'm about to say. But, um, yeah, like if you watch Investigative Discovery, like I said earlier in this episode, you start to become like a detective your damn self, in my opinion. You start to watch the show from a different perspective. Like, I'm not watching like, oh my God, what's about to happen to her? She didn't know. Instead, you're like, uh-uh, that's not, you. everyone thinks it's the best friend, but it's really the husband. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can kind of start thinking differently, you know, about it, especially if you watch a few of them. Shit, you start becoming the detective. You After a while, you graduate to federal agent. Shit. But, um... 
watch an investigative discovery. Um, they always have these type of different FBI shows where they'll have like, they profile a serial killer. Like a serial killer would be this type of person, this type of person, that type of person. Um, you know, we have different types of serial killers. You know, you have the ones that would be like, um, they have low self-esteem. They didn't have friends growing up. They tortured animals. So you saw it coming like, oh, this nigga's going to be a serial killer. And, you know, excuse me for saying the N word. That just kind of flows sometimes. And I'm not saying that that means like it's a black person at all. Cause I, when I say N, it's just like saying this dude. And that's really what I meant to say. So I retract that. So I apologize. But this dude's going to be a serial killer based on certain things, like obvious things, right? Like loner, you know, um, antisocial, um, you know, torture of small animals and, you know, just weird shit that you would be like, boom, 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 red, red flag, red flag, serial killer. But then, we have like, you know, the charming serial killers like Ted Bundy, who would woo you and you would be like, he could kill me because he's amazing. He looks great. He smiles, you know, and women were throwing themselves at Ted Bundy on his trial. Like this, this dude's on trial and they're like, I'll marry you. I'll do, I'll pay for the defense going crazy. Right. Um, even I think it was the son of Sam, same thing with son of Sam, women going crazy. He's so handsome. You're like, ah, he can't be, he can't be. Um, I digress. I retract that. Not the son of Sam, the Zodiac killer. That's who they were falling all crazy over. So like Ted Bundy, the Zodiac killer, like all they just see the looks and they're like, he can kill me. He's amazing. He's so gorgeous. Blah, blah, blah. I would pay for his defense and get him out. You even see in present day, um, there was a meme at one time. It was like Jail Bay. I think that's what it was called. And it was like a really cute guy. He had like green eyes and it was like his mug shot. And it was like, oh, that's Jail Bay. Like I'll get him out of jail, blah, blah, blah. And I think like ultimately like a girl paid for him to get out of jail. I don't know the whole story. Don't get me to lying. But, you know, apparently women have an affinity with men on trial that look good for serial killing and they don't care about it. I'm even seeing like right now, I just saw something. I was like, I am not watching this, but, um, I saw everybody did a whole expose slash documentary, whatever special on the Menendez brothers, because they're gaining traction on TikTok Now, like all the little millennial girls think that the Menendez brothers are hot from the eighties or whatever the hell they killed their parents. And they looking at all the old footage and they're like, no, they're innocent. They need to, they were, they were given a wrong trial and blah, blah, blah. Right. So <clears throat> to me, I'm like, that's crazy. You know, like just because a person's good looking, you know, we have to go below that surface. Like what else is it? Because sometimes people couldn't, you know, it's, you can't go by the skin or the, you know, surface level of like, Hey, this person who's dresses well, they maintain a job. They're decent. They, you know, everyone loves them. Sometimes those, those are the worst ones. In my opinion, those are the ones with the most things to hide. In my opinion, I'm not saying everyone, but sometimes when they get a little too extra, it, it, it kind of sends a, t uh, um, spidey sense up my back. If I should say, and I'd be like, Hmm, gotta watch this one. I'm going to move back and digress and just watch you from afar until I feel more comfortable. And then maybe everyone's different, but that's just me. But, um, yeah, <sighs> rambling, but let me get to it guys. Cause I'm still in denial. All of that to say this, if you go on the internet, there are people and it has been like rumors and whispers for 
decades that Marvin Gaye was a serial killer. OMG. Allegedly. So I'm going to say it again. It's stuff on the internet and it has been for decades, rumors and whispers that Marvin Gaye was a serial killer. Then I started to think about his documentary and I also feel like I did, you know, actually I did. If you, so if you go back to season two, I mean, excuse me, season one of she can talk. Cause here I am an hour some change in talking, but I already did an episode about his documentary and about, you know, his father and how you could see he was a tormented soul, you know, because of his upbringing and the things that he experienced in his life. So, you know, I was already, you know, past Marvin Gaye and that story until recently thank you youtube and google apparently these has been rumors and whispers but because he has been you know backed by powerful people he they weren't able to prove it so this is all allegedly once again don't shoot the messenger this is for entertainment purposes only meaning that you know this is stuff that i've seen and i'm like hey let me share it with my listening audience because you guys tell me what do you think you know type of thing it's not like i am convicting the dead no nothing like that you know what i'm saying like i have nothing to gain or lose from this this is just informational purposes so here we go so i guess apparently in the 50s or when he was a teenager whenever that was in the area or the neighborhood in which he lived, there were like several killings of young black girls that were runaways and they said prostitutes. So this is the thing, right? Because you know how media does, like I'm not here to bash anyone. I too have a podcast and I'm trying to bring you, you know, stuff that, you know, is different because it's a podcast. It's unorthodox. I don't have to like really, you know, I'm not trying to bring you facts and, you know, not, let me, let me retract that. I'm not saying I'm not trying to bring you facts. I am trying to bring you facts, but I'm also trying to bring you different and, um, different stuff that you might not have heard about that you might find interesting type of thing. Right. So with that being said, I came across this and I was like, all right, let me look into this. So they said that, um, he's a serial killer. So when he was a teenager, remember what I'm saying now, when he was a teenager in this neighborhood, Several girls between the age of 14 and 16 years old ended up dead, murdered, and they all were runaways. But because they were runaways, the media said, hey, they were runaways, they were prostitutes because they left their families and they was out here in these streets, they were prostitutes. So you know how things can always, the narrative can be controlled by whoever is creating the narrative. So we'll leave it at that. But um, yeah, 14 to 16 year old girls killed. Then they suspected the teenager that was doing it. But then when they started to become like, I guess, have an ideal of who's doing it or what's going on, it stopped. At the same time that it stopped, Marvin Gaye moved away from the area. Now, I don't, you know, I don't know if his family, like his parents moved away from the area, but he moved away from the area and it stopped. So the police were basically like, Hmm, we, we kind of were right. Or, you know, how we think that was him because it stopped and he's nowhere to be found. So they left it alone. They was all peaceful. Everything is good in the hood. Now, years later, when he is actually, 
you know, a singer and he's popular and he's successful, you know, so this leads me to believe like maybe his family still lived in that area, right? Because he went, he went back now. So now he's going back to that area and he lived there. And this is like his original before the California, before the mansion or the house that he passed in or got killed in and before that stuff. This is his hometown where he grew up and his original family home. So he went back home. When he went back home, the killings started again. And, uh, and this is all stuff that I read online. You can go on YouTube. Like this is not stuff. And this is all allegedly. So I have to continually say that allegedly. So I don't want no one to say like, Hey, she said this and this, I'm, this is stuff that I've gotten from elsewhere. So I'm the third party deliverer. And, um, yeah, I'm just telling you something that I found interesting and maybe you guys want to look it up. But if you do hit me up and tell me what y'all think about this, but I'm just going to give you the story a little bit more. And then y'all tell me what I'm gonna tell y'all what I'm thinking, like the way I think about it and give you my opinion on it. And then you tell me what y'all think, but, um, yeah, to go into a little bit deeper. So he comes back now, it starts again and the same people that investigated or, you know, were looking into this years earlier were like, boom, it's him dude is back, you know? So it was almost like a cold case file and, you know, people, you know, I always have that one relentless police officer, like, I know it's him type of thing, you know, every move, like, I know it's him. And he comes back like, see the pattern resurface is him. So they were really convicted in um, their belief that Marvin Gaye was killing these girls because when he came back, they weren't like adult women. They were still 14 to 16 year old runaway quote unquote and I'm doing air quotes. I know yeah I'm no I'm not on video but I'm doing air quotes quote unquote runaways and prostitutes. But the same age group, right? So they're like, yeah, this is the patterns the same. The victims, you know, everything is lining up and then dude is back. This is crazy. So they attempted, you know, this is basically what they said and this is like, you know, you can find it online. They attempted to try and you know, either pin it on him or, cause I don't know if he did it or not. So, you know, but they attempted to try and solve the case. Right. And they said they couldn't because he was a powerful, influential person that had a lot of powerful people back in his music career. So they just left it alone and end up closing the case as a cold case because they ultimately moved away and never came back. Right. So now here's the thing, bring it up a little bit forward right before sexual healing. And, um, if you go online, they have like unorthodox, so I don't know how it goes. Documentaries are different, you know, loose documentaries based on him. So you can find it up there and see footage. But, um, apparently right before sexual healing, after his running with the police, trying to pin serial killing on him, and his drug abuse and his, and then let's go even deeper. Cause I'm not trying to go into a Marvin Gaye situation, but, uh, remember he had a baby with a 16 year old niece of Barry Gordy. And then he married a 17 year old Jan Gaye, who had his two daughters for him. And she married him at 17 and he was well into his like adulthood at that time with both, both situations when he got those young girls. So outside of what the police think and whatever, I just thought that was very um, coincidental. His preference, I should say. And everybody, like, yeah, you know, but he had Barry Gordy's wife. 
handler, but I digress. Um, Barry Gordy's sister, but handler, I digress. You know what I'm saying? And then, um, and this is just all my opinion, just based on the stuff that I was watching, right? I don't have facts, so don't come at me. I don't have facts. But um, it was just crazy. So I was like, hmm. Because I remember all those weird-ass stories, like the dad, the teenage baby mothers, and blah, 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 the drug abuse, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't know about the serial killing accusations. And then I didn't know that he went to a small island off of Hawaii, like as a retreat. But when he was on the island, they said he went really, really dark. Anyone who visited him said that he had a lot of um, dark paintings of... um, like women in bondage, women being like tortured, etc. Right? He was doing heavy drugs. They say he was dressing in women's lingerie like his father. And ironically, there was a lot of assault and prostitutes murdered. Okay. So after that, he was like, you know, I'm going to clear my act. And he came back to the States. And that's when we got sexual healing sexual healing then i happened to listen to that song again which to me is a classic i'm not trying to dissect it or tear it up or whatever but then i just started listening to it from the perspective of everything i just taken in as far as the information right and then he's like um when i get the feeling I want sexual healing. And you would be thinking like, oh, you know, that's the arousal, the sexual feeling. But killers get that feeling too. And they sexual healing is a little bit different. So I digress. So I'm going to leave it there for y'all on that note. I just want y'all to tell me what y'all think about that. Like, you know, is that too much? Is is that crazy? Is it believable? So before I even end it, I just want to really quickly give you my opinion. Um... I don't know, first of all, I'm not here to say yes or no, or this is right, or this is wrong, or it's facts, but I will say this, I wouldn't be surprised, because a lot of the red flags are there, like, if you watch, like, you could just Google it, like, you look at, like, you know, different um, FBI profiles of different types of serial killers, he fits the fucking profile, tortured childhood, I, you know, I don't know, but a whole lot more that we probably don't even, would never begin to know happened in his childhood with his family, his father in particular, then having that type of father as your father and the contradictory life he lived and the abuse you endured, then your mother for being kind of semi-passive in the situation as far as the way they portray her in a lot of the documentaries, like she got to let the, the, the father beat the shit out of the kids and beat the shit out of her too in the process and then turn around and have like Flanders affairs with men and women. You know what I'm saying? So... You growing up and you seeing your mother in a weak state might make you hate women, you know, and then something might have happened to him with a 14 year old girl, because why that age? Why are you stuck at 14 to 16? Like, why are you stuck at that age? Like they have to be between 14 and 16, no older than 17. Like that to me is like a preference, a weird fetishy type of preference that also makes me feel like. I wouldn't be surprised, you know what I'm saying? And then um, the drug abuse, et cetera. Then you hear just like, um, I watched several different documentaries, not recently, but over the years, you know? And you can, if, you, if you're thinking like, hey, Colleen's just full of shit, she can talk, she's trying to talk us to death. But if you think I'm full of shit, Google it. And you come to your conclusion and then hit me up and tell me what y'all think, right? But um, these are all 
allegations, alleged allegations. This is not facts. I'm not saying they're facts anyway. You know, I'm just telling you stuff that I've come across. But um, another thing that I did see was um, he was, you know, he was, we all know that his music was very sexual. He thrived on sexuality, thrived on him. You know what I'm saying? Like he needed to have like someone loving him, someone, you know, you see this stuff, you know, and then if you go on YouTube, you'll find that weird twisted. And I mentioned it before on that episode that I did about him on last season, but you'll see that, um, weird footage of his dad cross-dressing with a wig and women's clothes, giving an interview about him. And if you look at his demeanor once again, if you look at his demeanor, makes me now look at it again from a different perspective, from an investigative discovery perspective. Like, I kind of could see it now. You know what I'm saying? And then if you looked at all those documentaries, um, I think the brother, I think the brother's wife, several family members and several people said that he tried to kill himself and he would say he's a bad person and, you know, he wants to just end it all. And then finally when he, you know, actually got shot by his father they say his last words was to his brother and they were something to the, along the lines of like you know I couldn't do it myself but I'm happy it's done I'm, you know this is what's best right why I mean and we're tortured like you, you know we all go through shit and we all some worse than others and we all do shit some worse than others you know what I'm saying but um I don't know I just thank God I haven't been to the point of like you kill me because I can't kill myself like you know what I'm saying like I don't ever want to be in a position of where I'm thinking about killing myself or want someone to kill me because I I feel like I deserve that punishment, right? So that leads me to the question of what the hell did you do? Why you feel so tortured? Why you feel like the only way to amend your wrongs is to have your father kill you or to just have anyone kill you or to be killed, right? But if you lived with years of you know, serial killing and getting away with it and then having people back you, you know, because, you know, I just looked at it from a different perspective, like, huh, okay, so he married um, Barry Gordy's sister, but the niece, which was a teenager of 16 years old, actually had the baby that the sister adopted and said was her and Marvin's baby. But in reality, she feigned a pregnancy and wore a fake stomach and did a lot of damage control handler did a lot of damage control um to kind of cover that up in my opinion why because he's a big star and he was basically like a big revenue for the company is that what that was and maybe they were like hey you gotta keep him in line because he's wow you know like you know it just makes you think, right? So, um, yeah, I, I don't want to beat you down and be like, OMG, she's coming in really dark. Yeah, this episode was kind of dark because I was like, it kind of all came in a flood. Like, I don't know if it's because I watched Aretha, then Tina popped up, and then this Marvin Gaye, you know, serial killer popped up. It was just literally back-to-back simultaneously, one after the other, like, overload. So I was like, oh, my God. And then it just made me think about, like, <laughs> not to even bring him up. And... Once again, disclaimer, I am not defending anyone. I'm not feeling no one's right, no one's wrong, no one should deserve more empathy over anyone. But then it made me start to think about R. Kelly. And, you know, 
he's, you know, I don't know how old he is per se, but he's older than me. So I feel like he's old enough to definitely be more closely exposed to the Aretha stories, the, um, you know, um, Marvin Gaye stories in particular and all these type of other stuff that we don't know about, you know? So to him, maybe he kind of was, you know, like this is normal life. This is R and B people were a little bit more and artists and celebrities period, Hollywood, et cetera. Everyone was more private and you saw a lot less of the pub of their personal life in public. But when you did get a hold of their personal life years later, you're like, God damn, this shit was a mess. Like they were on drugs. They were shooting each other. They was carrying on like just all types of craziness can go on and, and happen, you know? So no one is better than the other person and no one's perfect. But, um, yo, I don't know. After I saw that stuff, like put it this way, lipstick alley has a whole thread on it from like 2017. Okay. And then, um, I think Reddit has one from like 2015. I'm just saying, go up there, Google it. You'll find it. You'll see like one of them had like, um, police information. You know what I'm saying? Like we think it's Marvin Gaye. They named the suspect type of thing. So that's crazy. But, um, yeah. And then it makes you think about it. If that is the case, it's like, he's the original R. Kelly. And I'm not saying like, you know, not to bring R. Kelly into this or to put any more dirt on dude's name because I can't lie. I was listening to R. Kelly after that versus battle with Mr. Biggs. Hmm. I'm sorry, y'all. I was like, yes, because I was like, you know what? The versus battle is lit, but it ain't really a versus battle if you don't give me that Mr. Biggs. And then, you know, Colossus was like, they can't do that because, you know, R. Kelly, he's not going to do that. And he came through with that contagious and then he came through with that busted. I was like, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. He's giving us that Mr. Big. And, you know, R. Kelly was 100% in control of that whole narrative with that, you know, music. And I came up front. It was a genius. You know, he was a genius with what he did. Just like Marvin Gaye was a genius with what he did. But does the genius tie in closely to um, sadistic? Does it tie in closely to um, crazy? Does Is genius... On the other side of genius, is it mental or crazy? You know, is it just a food for thought? You know, like to be, you know, because they say you have to risk it all. You have to do something, stuff that people aren't willing to do to to gain the heights and the levels. And I get it because every day I'm trying different things, not serial killer, no shit like that. But you know, to put myself out there more, right? But um. Yeah, like, we look at these people as geniuses, but were they really mad scientists? Were they fucking sadistic? You know, that type of thing. And so I looked at this stuff, and when I came, of, when I came across all this stuff with, um, you know, Marvin Gaye with the um, serial killer accusations and alleged accusations and stuff, I instantly thought of R. Kelly. Like, well, goddamn, R. Kelly is not that bad. I mean, he kept a couple of chicks probably the same age group and shit like you know whatever in his house and whatever the case may be but um he didn't kill the bitches and I don't mean to call them bitches but sometimes you know she can talk I just flow like I be feel like I'm in here with y'all but he didn't kill the ladies you know what I'm saying he he scarred them in more ways than one and I'm not going to say that, you know, it's okay. I'm not taking no light away from that situation or the pain, excuse me, the pain that they endured. I'm not taking none of that away. But what I am saying is he is not up for serial killing. 
And I'm like, God damn, you know, lucky dude ain't had the internet and stuff back then because he's in the afterlife being rolled around in all of these accusations. You know what I'm saying? But wow, wow, just wow. You know, R. Kelly does not even compare, you know, the accusations and, you know, the stuff against him doesn't compare to serial killing. So I'm not trying to say I'm, you know, defending R. Kelly, but I was just like, yo, where does it begin? Where does it end? You know, all of this stuff, like, you know, kind of goes, it's scary. You know what I'm saying? Just like, what is accepted? What's not accepted? What's okay? Like, it's okay to get 12-year-old girls pregnant and then turn around and get them pregnant again two years later. And then two years like, just wearing out this 12-year-old girl that she's never seen in life. Like, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? It's okay to beat on on women that, uh, A, you were supposed to be a father figure to her, which I didn't find it out until watching that Tina Turner documentary. Ike Turner started out as a father figure to Tina and a mentor to Tina Turner because he was significantly older than her. Her firstborn child is the saxophone player in the band because guess what? They were close in age. They were teenagers hanging out and having fun. And that's the father of her first child. But when um she became more popular, people was more receptive to her and they started looking at her as a star. He, I wanted to control the narrative and control her. So how can you control her? You know, abuse her, make her your wife, give her the kids. Now you have all my kids, plus I'm, you know, your kids, plus I'm giving you a kid and you can't go nowhere. And I'm going to beat you if you think about freedom. Like, you know, it's crazy. So you just see all of that there. And he's like, this is crazy what happened. Like the music is awesome. And... The emotion is, the raw emotion is definitely there from whatever inspiration, serial killing, sexual abuse, pedophilia, physical abuse, drug abuse, you know, and I'm not trying to say like this all justifies great music at all, but the pain is there. And then I guess in some degree, the music allows people to release the pain, myself included. Myself included. I noticed that my songs, when I get tend to, I tend to get a little bit more real and I tend to get a little bit more personal and dig within myself, like stuff that I can't like, Hey, I can't even probably sit down on this podcast and say like, you know, this is how I feel or this is what I'm going through because you know, we have that, we're all vulnerable. We don't want to expose that. Right. But I could write a song about it. You know what I'm saying? And then I may not say like, Hey, this song in particular is about this, whatever. Right. I might just mention a little bit of my emotions in here and there, but I noticed that those are the songs that tend to resonate more with people. And 90% of the time it's people that had nothing to do with the emotion in the first place, but they can relate to that emotion because it resonated with them in some capacity. And I feel like, you know, like we love Marvin, we love um, Aretha, we love Tina, we love R. Kelly because of that raw emotion that they put in their music. And could it be because of the um, trauma that they experienced, the stress, the abuse, and that was their way of um, releasing it? I feel it was, I totally feel it was because that's crazy, you know, but, um, I'm gonna leave it there. I'm gonna end it with that for y'all. Right. And honestly, I think early in this episode, I said I was going to do Aretha Franklin respect, but I'm going to lighten it up because, um, you know, it's still not really like a hundred percent upbeat song or nothing, but I think I'm gonna end it with Tina because 
Tina is like the meat in this um episode. We got the two buns on the end. We got Aretha with her um story, and we got um Marvin Gaye with his wild story with a little bit of um R. Kelly on the side for some French fries. But that meat, that thick ass prime rib burger, is a hundred percent Tina Turner. She's the fighter in this episode, and I just want to just let's highlight her for me. Let me let me go ahead and you hear that clap? Round of applause for the queen Tina Turner. She deserves it. I'm in here by myself, but that's a round of applause because, you know, she's a fighter. She came through the mud once again and came out on top, sitting there chilling in Switzerland on the French Riviera, like, darling, this is my home, you know, and despite whatever, she never gave, she never publicly anyway, I'm pretty sure behind closed doors, she probably wished that dude, Ike, all types of death, but publicly, she never said nothing bad about him. She never even had a disdain on her face, like, ugh, you bringing up this nigga again. I hope he die. You know, she never, like, me, in my uncouth days, that would have been me all day. Like, what the fuck you keep asking about Ike for? Like, it would have been different. Every episode, every interview, different. Like, they're like, okay, she cleans about to set it off. She's about about to get in her bag. Ike, set off, ripping up the studio, throwing up everything. But watching her, watching Tina and the gracefulness and the regalness and the queenness, the queen come through. It was one part when she did do, um, the interview was like, yeah, so talk about Ike. You know, it was like she's on a movie for like um, Mad Max, like in her 50s, looking bad as shit. Like she's up there on Mad Max, you know, being interviewed about a movie that has nothing to do with my life story, has nothing to do with anything related to me personally. And the first thing you want to ask me about is, teen, uh, is Ike Turner. And she was like, um... And the lady was like, oh, did you hear Ike is in jail? He's in jail for drugs. And she was like, you know, I didn't know that. But, you know, I wish I could hear that, you know, stories about him getting a record deal and finally being able to fulfill his dream as music. I don't want to hear about that. And she's, that was so graceful because it's like, why you want to even, I don't want to hear about this man, good or bad. Like, I don't want to hear about his downfalls. I don't want to hear about his success. But damn it, like, he's already the culprit in my story. You want to keep him down. Like, you know, like, let me hear something good about him. And she shut that down. And I thought that was graceful. You know what I'm saying? I feel like that's why she's where she's at because, you know, you don't got to, I don't got to be out there like, I hate you. I hate this. And, you know, nah, you know what I'm saying? And let karma run its course because karma will find a nigga. Trust and believe. But, um, yeah, so we're going to end this one here with what's love got to do with it because I feel like that's very, um, relevant for this episode. What's love got to do with it? You know, Aretha and her daddy. What love has to do with that situation? He was the biggest abuser, in my opinion. What's love got to do with it? We already know Ike and Tina. What's love got to do with it? Because he was not loving those girls down, a.k.a. allegedly, air quote, prostitute runaways, when he was luring them to the hotels to kill them or luring them to wherever to kill them. Whoever did that, but allegedly it was Marvin Gaye. What did love have to do with any of that? Because all three of them sang about love, sang about respect, sang about awareness in the world and black communities and the struggle of black people. But in a weird way, they all kind of, um, well, minus Tina, which is a, the winner in my episode here, in my opinion, but, um, they failed to kind of include their struggles or their plight or their bringing awareness to their stuff and I think to me that might have would have made them a little bit more um not vulnerable you know in addition to vulnerable it would have made them a little bit more stronger because that's allowing them to reclaim their you know their weakness and turn into a strength but anyway I digress y'all 
I'm leaving it there. To, it's that for y'all. So next week, I got. Um, I will be back on video for y'all. I just want to get back into it. We'll be back on video. So even though this video, this episode right here will be on YouTube, you will just see the logo. I apologize. Mama gonna get back on camera. Mama gonna be cute too when we get on camera. I ain't even messing with y'all. But we got DJ Sarah K. Straight out Paris, France. She be DJing. You know she represent that Detroit music. You are gonna hear us talk about that. You are gonna hear us talk about her Moroccan heritage. You are gonna hear us talking about just how dope it is to be a fly woman DJ because I'm tired of the, the term female like that's like just a, to me I feel like female just is pointing to your assigned gender but like woman is embodying it you know so I really hope you guys liked um episode one shout out to Michelle Jenkins beauty strategist who was my first guest for um season two episode one you know you guys just got me this week but I'm so happy you are here with me and thank you all for tuning in next week stay tuned I got another beautiful woman that will be you know sitting down with me Sarah K aka DJ Sarah K out of Paris France so hopefully you guys will get to love her just as much as I do just like you love Michelle just as much as I do i thank you all for the feedback it was awesome amazing and like i always tell you guys if you like the episode tell a friend if you don't like the episode please tell a friend it ain't gonna hurt either way once again i'm clean gongali mc on instagram clean eat wings on instagram doe underscore records on instagram or you can just go over to the website doe records.com or just tune in every week here we're gonna be here every week she can talk to podcasts all right love y'all until next time y'all stay safe love yourself because you cannot love me if you don't love yourself all right and i'm gonna send y'all that love spread love is the brooklyn way y'all stay tuned y'all stay good until next week y'all peace Whatever the reason you do it for